I want to give a different perspective on something that we have all been involved with to one degree or another. How many, how many have ever seen the movie The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's every, every year I, I ask that less and less hands go up. It, it, man, it's a classic. If you've never seen it, it is a classic movie. But there's a scene at the end of the movie where Dorothy and all her friends are talking to the wizard. And while they're sitting there talking to the wizard, her little dog called Toto goes running off, and there's this curtain. And the dog grabs the curtain and pulls back the curtain. There's a guy in or behind the curtain in a room, and he's, he's very elaborately dressed, and he's pulling all these levers, and he's got this huge microphone in, in front of him. And all of a sudden, the wizard tells Dorothy and all her friends one of the most famous lines in movies across the world. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Now, if you've never seen The Wizard of Oz, spoiler alert, there is no wizard. (laughs) It literally is a guy behind the curtain. He created this elaborate wizard to instill fear and intimidation into the people, but it was really him there behind the curtain moving all the levers. Well, tonight, I want to remove or move back the curtain, so to speak, in a spiritual sense, to reveal the man behind the curtain when it comes to conflict. We've all been involved in conflict to one degree or another, and maybe some of us tonight are having conflict in our lives to one degree or another. Conflict is inevitable. If you live on earth, you're going to have conflict one degree or another. But in conflict... A lot of times what happens is we forget, we forget there's a spiritual aspect to that conflict. And if we don't understand that, then we're only going to look at it from a natural perspective. And if we only look at it from a natural perspective, we miss what's going on behind the curtain. And what's going on behind the curtain is really important because if you remember in week one, we talked about the fact that everything is spiritual. So what's going on behind the curtain is directly influencing what's going on in the natural because everything's spiritual. If you've got a problem in the natural, you have to go after the root in the spiritual. So tonight, I want to bring back that curtain, reveal the roots that are behind a lot of this conflict in the natural so we can actually learn to overcome conflict rather than just being a victim of conflict. Anybody would like to overcome conflict in their lives? Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of times conflict occurs in ways that have nothing to do with us. I mean, it's something that occurs that we don't necessarily seek out, but we all of a sudden find ourselves in the middle of it. So how do we overcome conflict? Well, to do that, I'm going to need some help. So I've got a couple of people who are about to come up here and we're going to demonstrate this from two perspectives. We're going to look at conflict from a natural perspective, and then we're going to look at it from the spiritual perspective. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to see your conflict from a completely different perspective than you've ever seen it before. So here we have Scott and Melanie. They happen to be married. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Scott and Melanie. They happen to be married, so they're the perfect example for conflict. (laughs) 
And earlier I asked them, who wants to be the bad guy? And guess who got to vote who the bad guy was? Yeah, that would be Melanie voting for Scott. So for illustration purposes tonight, this is person A and person B. And B, of course, stands for bad guy. So, Melanie, I'm going to have you stand here, and Scott, I'm going to have you right here. And if you'll face each other, and you'll take out the knives that you have hidden. Okay, these two folks are in conflict. In the natural, they look at each other, and they're focused on each other. Whatever the conflict is, it doesn't matter. Okay, you know, Scott forgot to buy flowers for the anniversary. Sorry, dude. You haven't had your... Have you had your one year? Almost. Okay, so I'm not speaking anything over you. <laughs> I'm just preparing you for the inevitable. Okay. They're in conflict. Here's what happens when you get into some sort of conflict. It doesn't really matter what the conflict is, and it doesn't matter who you're in conflict with. For our illustration purposes tonight, we're all going to be person A, because we're going to look at it from their perspective to person B. But we could easily flip it around to where we could be person B, but it doesn't really matter. So we're in conflict. In the natural, here's what happens when we get in conflict in the natural. Our minds go berserk. And things start popping into our minds, and we don't really know where they come from. One of the emotions or thoughts that usually come to the surface during conflict, the number one, of course, is anger. So Melanie is now extremely angry. <clears throat> As you'll find about Melanie, she does not have a poker face. So if she's angry, you'll know she's angry. So in addition to the anger, she starts building some resentment. And this starts to build. And it, it's sort of like it, it builds upon itself. And the more anger there is, the more resentment, and it just kind of snowballs. It's, it's like if you take a little snowball, start it at the top of the hill, and slowly roll it down, it builds momentum, and it builds mass, and it slowly builds as long as the conflict continues. And especially if he even says anything, it just builds the conflict. So I'd, there's another piece of advice there, brother. <clears throat> Just say yes. In addition to the resentment, she's got some fear and intimidation. And, and I'm not going to go through the whole list here, but I'm going to say that there's disappointment, there's unforgiveness, there's hurt, betrayal, revenge, jealousy. There's all kinds of stuff now going on between these two. And, and it's just created this environment to where the, when they even think about each other, all that stuff has now invaded those thoughts, and that's all they can focus on. And a lot of times what happens is in this mess, we begin to assign motives to the other person. So now, in all this mess that's going on up here in Melanie's head... She's now assigning motives to, to Scott in ways that he doesn't even know. He has no clue. And there, there's no necessary malicious intent on his part 
Unless, of course, it's the Scott that's living in her head, and now he's, you know, he des- deserves to be in jail because he's the worst person on earth because all these motives are now being attached to the emotions, and she's assigning those to him. And whatever little thing he does, good, bad, or indifferent, it's now for the wrong reason. So there's nothing you can do now, brother, sorry. Even the flowers are going to be bad. So you start assigning those motives. And what happens is the only way that person A, Melanie here, can see winning this argument is if she defeats him. That's the only way she can now see, I have to prove that I'm right in everything, and he's right. I can't give up any ground, because if I give up ground, then that means he's right and I lose. And now it's her versus him. And along the way, because it's a now, now it's a her versus him issue, she wants to get some allies and add some people to her side and bring others in. And that's where the gossip and the, where, what pastor calls the skunking of other people so she can create an army that agrees with her so she can defeat him. Now it's getting bigger. Not only is it going on in Melanie's head, it's going on in her friends and her family and whoever she talks to about this of course, she's only given her perspective because, you know, Scott's the devil. And that's how she presents it. And it ends up being war. All because Scott just forgot that yesterday was our anniversary. And now, sorry, brother, you probably won't see next year. Literally, I, I don't mean as far as marriage. I mean, you're probably not going to wake up tomorrow. All this stuff has created this perspective in Melanie's head of what's really going on. But it's based on emotion. It's based on fear, anger, resentment, all this stuff. And it just builds up into this blinding fog to where she cannot literally see straight. That's what happens in the natural. Anybody ever been there? Okay. I think we've all been there at some point or another. Here's the problem with that. When you only focus on the natural and you only focus on the other person, you are completely missing what's going on in the spiritual side. And there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the spiritual side that we haven't even touched yet When we get to a me versus them attitude, nobody can win. Nobody can win. Because it's no longer about what is right. It's now all about me. The only right is me winning. And the other person has to lose in order for us to win. And we'll never give ground. And that's when we hold on to anger and unforgiveness. And really, that's what happens in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is us believing if I hold them in unforgiveness, then I'm preventing them from winning, whatever that means. But in reality, what happens is when I hold somebody in unforgiveness, what I'm doing is I'm creating this mess in myself that they may not even be aware of. Because there's times in, especially in a marriage, where 
she is woof. I mean, it's like Mount St. Helens. And he's sitting there watching TV going, what, what happened? What happened? Has no idea. But in her, there's this huge, huge mess going on. And the thought is, if I let go of this, then I let him off the hook. Then he wins and I lose. But again, that's completely denying the spiritual. So I want to bring out one more person, and we're going to look at this now from the spiritual side. Please don't be afraid of the devil that's sneaking up behind me right now. (laughs) Yeah. Here's what happens in the spiritual. Now, we're going to pull back the curtain for a minute. I'm going to have Amber, sorry, the devil, stand right here, okay? In the natural, Melanie is focusing on Scott, but what she doesn't realize is the enemy, the real enemy, is over here. We have to realize that they are not our enemy whoever they are, whoever he is, whoever she is. This is not the enemy. This is the enemy. The enemy has always been the enemy. That's why Jesus came. There will always be an enemy. As long as we live on earth before Christ comes back, and it's always the enemy, it's not other people. When we look at other people as the enemy... We literally give the enemy free reign because we're now focusing on the wrong person. And we're going to fight this individual, which gives the real enemy all kinds of freedom in our lives because we're focusing on the wrong one. Let me give you an example. In Joshua chapter 6, when the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, and we're going to go take Jericho. God told Joshua, I've given Jericho into your hands. And there's a whole bunch of kingdom principles in this whole passage in Joshua chapter 6. But here's what happens. God tells Joshua, I've given Jericho into your hands. And then he tells him how to fight. What does he tell him to do? He doesn't tell him to go fight the inhabitants of Jericho. He tells them to march around the city seven times for seven days praising Jesus. Of course, it wasn't, they didn't know Jesus at the time, but praising God. What were they doing? They were fighting the real enemy first. Because what God knew was they were never going to defeat Jericho because it was the enemy who was the stronghold. This is not the stronghold. That's the stronghold. And until the enemy is defeated, this can never be resolved. So we have to first go after the enemy. Now, to understand how the enemy works, here's what I want to do. I want to show you the two attacks. There's always two attacks in a conflict. We don't realize this, but there is. The first attack is the devil uses the original person here, person B, the bad guy, to do whatever they did, whether they realize it or not, to impact person A. So the reality is, if you'll come stand right there, It's the, actually stand there and face, there you go. The devil is the one who's now attacking Melanie. And this is what happened when Jesus, you remember the story of Jesus and Peter? When Peter confesses Jesus and he says, 
you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus just praised him and said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. It's from my Father in heaven. And on this rock I'll build my church. And then a few minutes later, he says, I'm going to have to go to the cross and, and, and die. And Peter comes to him and goes, uh, uh, dude, no, that's not, that'll never happen to you. And then what does Jesus do? He turns to him and looks and says, get behind me, Satan. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to Peter. He's talking to the enemy. Peter had no clue what he was saying. You see, in, in Matthew chapter 4, in the three temptations that Jesus faced, one of them was the shortcut, where the enemy went to Jesus and said, you don't have to go to the cross. He didn't say it this way, but this is what he meant. You don't have to go to the cross. If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything. It was a shortcut. And it says at the end of chapter 4, when the devil left Jesus, it says he left for a more opportune time to come back. Well, what happens? Peter has this great revelation of Jesus, and Jesus is so excited about it. And then what happens? An opportune time comes and the enemy drops something in Peter's mind and says, no, uh, no, you don't have to go that route. Take the shortcut. Jesus immediately recognized who was speaking, and it wasn't Peter. It was the enemy. And what did Jesus do? He said, get behind me, Peter. No, get behind me, Satan. Because he recognized where the attack was coming from. It wasn't coming from Peter. It was coming from the enemy. He wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was identifying the real enemy. And that's what we have to do in these situations. So here's the first, first attack. is the, the first attack from, through Scott to Melanie. But here's the second attack. I want you to come back behind Melanie. And here's what happens. When the first attack comes, the enemy then tries to backdoor us and whispers things in our ear. And we think it's us. We think it's our own thoughts. Yeah, well, you know, sh this guy's a loser. What in the world did you marry him for? There were so many better people out there. And see, he forgot anniversary. I told you. And the enemy comes in and tries to backdoor us, adding to the original argument. And he drops the, and maybe, maybe he, you know, maybe he forgot to pick her up or get the oil chains in the car. And the enemy will come and remind Melanie, you know, this guy doesn't remember anything. And lucky he remembers to get up in the morning. But he'll come and he'll backdoor you with other things to add to it. And if you don't recognize that these are not your thoughts, that these are the enemy coming in, you're going to agree with it. Now, I only have one enemy here, but the reality is, in addition to the two attacks, the enemy always comes with two allies, fear and intimidation. Have you ever been confronted by somebody and you immediately felt fear and intimidation? Or somebody does something that you don't like and you're like, man, somebody needs to say something, but you're not going to do it because you're afraid and intimidated. Where does that fear and intimidation come from? It comes from the enemy. It doesn't come from God. Because here's what the enemy does. He protects his attack 
with fear and intimidation. So when Scott does something that Melanie doesn't like, not only does the enemy speak in her ear to add to it, two other come with the enemy called fear and intimidation to try and prevent her from addressing it. To make you stand back, to hold you back. If you don't recognize that that fear and intimidation is from the enemy, then you're going to agree with it. And you're going to respond based on fear and intimidation. And when you respond based on fear and intimidation, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. And that's what the enemy's looking for is victims. If you're not a victim, the enemy has no power over you. Because as a victor, you will always confront the enemy. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was not a victim. Even though he was murdered and put on a cross, that did not make him a victim. It's not what happens to you that makes you a victim. It's how you handle it that determines whether or not you're a victim. Peter and and the other apostles thrown into prison didn't make them victims. In fact, they got in there, they started singing. That's not a victim. That's a victor. So don't believe that what happens to you makes you a victim. Just because Scott messes up and and gets Melanie angry doesn't make her a victim. But the enemy wants to make you a victim so he can have control. Because as long as you walk from a victim perspective, the enemy now has free reign. And now, the original attack... Hits Melanie. The enemy backdoors her with all this other stuff. Now, the enemy can go around and backdoor Scott with her response. And now it's on. I mean, it is just this cycle that goes back and forth. And the more these two agree with all this other stuff, the more the enemy can bring in allies, other people and other allies spiritually, to create a big mess. That's why we have to understand what's going on in the spiritual side of things in an argument or in a conflict. Because if we want to win, we have to realize that it's not me versus them. Winning an argument is not proving that you're right and they're wrong. The reality is As a Christian, the goal is not winning, it's resolution. And there's a big difference between resolution and winning. Winning is about me. Resolution is about relationship. And that's what God's all about. He is all about relationship. You can restore a relationship through resolving conflict and everybody wins or you can try and prove you're right. But you can't do both. You can't do both. So in a spiritual issue, which is what this is, the number one thing we have to do is realize the enemy is the enemy. And here's how we can take steps to overcome the enemy. Number one, we need to realize the armor. Why do you put on armor? You don't put on armor to go swimming. You put on armor 
to go to battle. That's the whole purpose of armor. If there's no battle, there's no need for armor. So when God gives us the armor of God, it's not to take a photo op. It's to go to battle. It's to go to war. But it's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So here's the thing about the armor. In a conflict, we have to use our armor. Here's how we use our armor. Number one, the belt of truth, our identity. We have to have our identity grounded in the gospel. It cannot be grounded in the opinions of others, especially in a marriage. A lot of times in a marriage, our identity is drawn from the opinion of our spouse. You can't do that because at some point your spouse is going to let you down. Guarantee it, 100% of the time, unless they're Jesus. And Jesus is in heaven, and Jesus may be in us, but we're weak, okay? And our identity cannot be in the opinion of somebody else. So to put on that belt of truth means I believe what the Bible says about me and who I am regardless of their opinion. You have to get to that point. Because if you don't, and you're drawing your opinion from them, that's where the fear and and intimidation comes from because now I'm afraid of what they think of me. And I make decisions based on fear rather than based on truth. So the belt is that identity, the the breastplate of righteousness, our worth before God. We have to remember... My worthiness has nothing to do with anybody else. It doesn't matter who thinks what about me. I am a son or a daughter of the king. Melanie is a daughter of Jesus. It doesn't matter what Scott thinks. No offense. It doesn't matter in the course of her worthiness before God. The whole world could be against her but God is for her. And we have to remember that. Now, the shoes of peace, that firm foundation, again, we are not victims. If I believe I'm a victim, there's no way I can stand my ground. I will constantly back up and constantly allow the enemy to push me backwards. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to push us into isolation and seclusion so we have absolutely no influence. We have to stand our ground. Sometimes that means holding our ground in a conflict, but it's got to be biblical ground, not emotional ground. We have a firm foundation. Our authority. Here's the thing about authority. That's that shield of faith. Remember we talked about the shield on the police officer, also called a badge. It's a symbol of authority. Melanie has authority, but it's not over Scott. It's over the enemy. Melanie has authority over the enemy's work, not just in her life. Because they're married, she has authority within their marriage. If you have authority within a relationship like a marriage, or let's say you work for somebody, and you're having a conflict 
with one of your subordinates or, or one of your employees if you're a supervisor. You have natural authority over them, but you believe it or not, you have spiritual authority. It's not to be authoritative, but it is to overcome the enemy. And you've got to remember that authority is against the enemy. And we'll come right back to that here in a second. Of course, the Word, I have to make decisions. We have to make decisions. Melanie has to make decisions based on the truth of the Word, not based on her feelings or emotions. That's why the Word is so important. It will cut through all that fog to keep us on the right path. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword to divide And it will cut through all this fog if we will follow it, if we will make decisions based on the Word. And then finally, the helmet of salvation, the sound mind. A sound mind makes decisions based on truth, not emotion. And all of us, to one degree or another, make decisions based on emotion. Am I saying we're not supposed to have emotion? No. I'm saying we're not supposed to make uninformed decisions based solely on on emotion. Emotion can inform our decisions, but it shouldn't dictate our decisions. Big difference. And in a conflict, 99% of the time, emotion dictates decision rather than truth. There's a big difference between emotional facts and empirical facts. Empirical facts are things that are true, that are observable, that are based and grounded in reality. Emotional facts are just what's going on up here in all that fog. It's just how I feel. We cannot make decisions based on emotional facts. Folks, this is one of the hardest things you will ever do is work through conflict in a spiritual aspect because in conflict the worst thing that happens is the emotional storm. And you get so caught up in this emotional storm, you forget everything. I mean, it all goes out the window until you can get perspective. So how how is this going to be resolved spiritually? In the natural, it's Melanie versus Scott, and they're fighting against each other. You want to win it spiritually? You can't fight against each other. You have to fight for each other. And the number one way you begin that is fighting against the enemy. So here's how Melanie can overcome the enemy in this conflict. Is number one, she realizes, you know what, Scott's not my enemy. I may be really mad at him right now, and I may be thinking all these terrible things about him, but I know he's not the enemy. I know the enemy is the enemy. So the number one thing that she's going to do is she's going to get on her knees and she's going to begin to pray, one, for clarity of thought. And then, two, she's going to start praying for him. She's going to pray that the Lord would break the enemy off of him and clear the air in this conflict so there can be resolution, not winning. Because when you start fighting for somebody, now you're fighting against the real enemy. That's what needs to happen. 
But it's the hardest thing you will ever do because your emotions are telling you, no, don't fight for them. Deck them. Go after them. Come on. Mm. I'll fight for you when you're out. (laughs) But here's the thing. We spend so much time being distracted in the natural, we forget about the spiritual. Had Joshua and the Israelites tried to knock down the walls of Jericho, they would never have won because the walls were fortified against them. But they were fortified against their natural ability to fight, not their spiritual ability to fight. So God had them fight in the spirit. And when the spiritual walls came down, guess what happened to the natural ones? They came down too. Because in a conflict, walls go up all over the place. And what the enemy tries to do is deceive you into fighting in the natural because he knows you can't win in the natural. But if you will fight in the spirit and break down those walls in the spirit, the natural ones will come crashing down. And all of a sudden you'll go, whoa, I didn't know or I didn't see, I didn't understand. And now you can come together and resolve the issue rather than looking for a way to win. It has to be resolution because resolution seeks relationship where winning seeks me. (laughs) I want to win. But it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about him and it's about his plans for us. And all the enemy wants to do is distract us. And here's why it's so important to understand this. You want to know why one of the reasons evangelism in the church is so inadequate because we take an us versus them approach it's us versus the world and if we're gonna win that means they have to lose but here's the thing they've already lost what are they gonna lose twice they've already lost That's why they're called lost. And what the enemy is trying to do is distract us from the spiritual reality that God wants to save them. It's not about us defeating them. It's us fighting for them. Because without us, they have no hope. It's not because we're any special. It's because that's the way the Lord set it up. He decided to bring the message through us, the church. And if we choose not to proclaim the message, where is it going to come from? We have to fight for them, not against them. And here's how you practice it right here. You you practice it in the daily conflicts you have. Because we're always in conflict with the world. We will always be in conflict with the world. We're supposed to be that way. Light cannot have fellowship with darkness but it's not about us winning because Jesus already won. It's about us enforcing that victory over the enemy to bring people in to resolve or to restore. Paul says we have the ministry of reconciliation. We don't have the ministry of defeating. We have the ministry of reconciliation. And that's what we're to do is reconcile, resolve the divide between the world and God. It's not about us. It's about Him. 
So in these situations, we have to remember it's all about the enemy. It's not about the other person. Thank you, guys. Give them a big hand. So here's what I want to do. I want you to take a moment and think about the conflict that's in your life. For some of us, it may be past or it may be present. I can guarantee you there's some in the future. (laughs) There's conflict somewhere in your life, whether it's in your past, whether it's in your present. And maybe there's some unresolved conflict where you separated and the relationship got destroyed and completely ripped apart, and it's never been restored, or it's never been resolved. Maybe that's where you are tonight. I want to take some time and give you an opportunity tonight to fight for that person, whoever that person is. Because if you don't fight for them, I guarantee you the enemy's not going to fight for them. And even while we were yet enemies of God, Jesus fought for us. Even in the midst of the worst of the worst, Jesus fought for us. And if we want to be like Christ, we've got to be like Christ. So now is our opportunity. I'm going to have Carlito come back up. And we're going to spend some time. I I want you to spend some time really thinking right now. I want the Holy Spirit to have the time to bring to your mind those people you have been or currently are in conflict, especially those relationships that have not been resolved. In Celebrate Recovery, part of the process is making amends. Now, one of the things we say about making amends with other people is we do it unless it's going to harm them or somebody else. Now, obviously, there are conflict situations where people were physically abused and they're physically hurt. And there's no way that relationship will ever be restored. And you know what? That's okay. But what's not okay is in you allowing the enemy to continue to build that hatred, that resentment, that fear and intimidation. You may never go to a person to resolve the issue, but in your heart, you've got to let go. You have to let go. Because as long as you hold on to that fear, intimidation, that unforgiveness, that unworthiness, all that stuff, all you're doing is giving the enemy fuel to fire the the unforgiveness, the resentment, the anger. It's time to let it go. And maybe you need to go through a Celebrate Recovery program. Maybe you need to spend some time walking this out and that's okay it's not a matter of how long it takes it's a matter of taking the first step of the journey because up to this point how long have you allowed that to linger in your life and how many years has it taken away from you today's the day to take back 
that which the enemy has stolen. In Joel chapter 2, verse 25, the Lord says, I will restore the years the locusts have taken away. This is the opportunity to begin that journey. All it takes is one step. I know it's a fearful thing, but there's freedom on the other side. There is freedom. And unless you take that step, that freedom is elusive. So I want you to take a couple minutes. Allow the Holy Spirit just to bring to your mind anybody that you need to forgive, anybody you need to release, anybody you're in conflict with. And tonight we're going to go fight for them against the enemy so the Lord will bring about the opportunity for resolution. So just take a minute and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you.